everyone, it's Ashley, and I'm back again today to talk to you about uh, how Triad Health Project and today how the U.S. government as a whole is approaching the HIV epidemic within the U.S. So, as a bit of factual information, there are about 1.1 million people in the U.S. that are living with HIV today. And this estimate takes into consideration the fact that there are likely one in seven people that are unaware of the fact that they have HIV. So with that being said, um, North Carolina has been hit pretty hard by HIV um, as the number six highest state when looking at incidence rates, so new diagnoses of HIV. And Guilford County, so Greensboro on High Point, is has an even higher incidence rate than that. Thinking about these statistics today, um, I was able to sit down and talk to Scott Trent. He is one of the health educators within Triad Health Project about the progress he has seen over the years as far as incidence and prevalence of the um, virus, as well as the amount of stigma placed upon people who are living with the virus. So first things first, we're going to cut into a clip of Scott's response to the historical background of legislative policies and stigma and just the social environment in which HIV was born. Without further ado, here's Scott. All right. Um, well, I think yeah, a, a lot of things have changed, and one one important thing to to keep in mind is like that the modern LGBT rights movement kind of grew up alongside HIV. That it was all kind of happening at the same time. That people were starting, you know, coming out of the seventies. You know, people were pushing out against all kinds of you know oppression and stigma, gay liberation movement, and other kinds of you know, related movements were happening right at the time that HIV kind of, you know, made itself known in pretty devastating ways. So all of that was happening at the same time. And so people were having to fight against both things at the same time. They were having to fight against, you know, oppression. They were having to fight against this new, you know, deadly disease that nobody really understood. And that stigma of not only are you having to deal with, you know, oppression as a as a gay person but you're also having to deal with this whole new aspect of like well you've got this deadly disease that you could spread throughout society and it's mm -hmm. a punishment from god and all these things that people were saying at the time um but as people you know fought on and as people you know were able to push back against a lot of these things and and uh and really kind of you know open the minds of a lot of people in society that that was happening at the same time as we were getting new breakthroughs in the treatment and prevention of HIV. So all these things are happening at the same time. So, I mean, that's that's all been very good. You know, that's that's been a major uh, help in fighting the disease. Just, you know, if you're just looking at it from that narrow perspective, it's, a, you know, it's it's that's been a pretty major um, breakthrough. But there's still stuff that holds on. You know, there's like a core of... Uh, of discrimination there's a core of 
you know, kind of social backwardness that, you know, is held on and held in place. And when you look at what's going on politically in this country right now, it's getting worse in a lot of ways that people are, it's not just that, you know, people made some breakthroughs and they were, they, they made some really, you know, some really big breakthroughs through, you know, standing up for themselves and finding allies and, and pushing forward. But now, you know, under the current administration, you know, that are push that are out there, you know, saying really horrible things about gay people, about trans people, and really trying to turn, you know, sections of society against them, you can see a push backwards. And that can't help but have an effect on our ability to fight against HIV and to, you know, to bring all the tools um, to bear, um, you know, that we have. Because in one way, we're closer than we've ever been in able to be able to end the epidemic. We've got medications where if a person gets on their medication and gets virally suppressed, they can't transmit the virus anymore. We've already seen the effect that that has on the, the rate of new infections. It's It's been steadily going down. Um, and then we've got PrEP now. We've got, you know, this, this pill, a one-a-day pill that people can take to prevent, you know, becoming infected even if they do get exposed to the virus. Mm-hmm. So we've got these things and so in in a lot of ways we're closer than we've ever been but if this core of stigma still stays there and if this core of oppression still stays there that's something that we've got to fight for fight through that we've always had to fight through and it's just a bigger and bigger obstacle so you know it's i think it's really on everyone to challenge all of those things because you know from the medical side of things, you know, we've got all the tools we need, right? We've got it. You know, there's there still need to be more breakthroughs. There's still, you know, they're talking about, you know, research towards a cure and all that stuff is good and necessary. But if we were able to really use all the tools that we already have, we could be done, you know? But the biggest obstacle between us and that is like really getting it into the hands of people that need it the most. Mm-hmm. And that has everything to do with the kind of stigma and institutional barrier. Is the institutional racism, homophobia, transphobia, all of those things play a part in keeping people from what they need. Yeah. One aspect that I really appreciate about Scott's response was the way that he articulated the medical advancements and changes as well as the social advancements and changes and I think the key part to take away from what Scott is saying is that we have the tools as a society we should be able to eradicate HIV right now with the advanced antiretroviral medication with prep with education on how to avoid transmission of HIV. All of these things are coming together. It's just a matter now of who has access to these resources. As many of you listening at the moment are probably aware of, medication for HIV, whether it be the antiretroviral meds or PrEP, are incredibly expensive. And one way that the U.S. government approached ensuring that there would be care for people living with HIV, regardless of their ability to pay, was through the Ryan White Care Act. Named after Ryan White, a child that had contracted HIV through a blood transfusion in the 80s, this uh, federal-funded program not only provided financial resources for research, but also treatment programs. And 
this program officially began in 1990 and is continuing to uh, be put at work today throughout the United States. For anyone in the U.S. that is at or below 125% of the federal poverty line, Ryan White will fund your medications for you. So during the year 2017, about half a million U.S. citizens had received assistance from Ryan White. And looking at the success of the program, about 86% of those who received Ryan White care had a suppressed viral load, meaning that they were taking their medications regularly, likely because they could now afford it through Ryan White. And with a suppressed viral load, this means it is extremely unlikely for the infected individual to transmit the virus to someone else. And when examining who Ryan White impacts the most, clearly it is of lower class or lower middle class individuals. Um, but approximately 43% of all recipients identify as black and 23% identified as Hispanic. So about 66% of Ryan White recipients are minorities. Recently, the CDC released a study on Ryan White and found that people who are within Ryan White care are twice as likely to achieve that viral sus suppression, the lower amount of HIV within your body as those who were not under Ryan White care. In order to understand a little bit about how much money is spent on HIV through the government, it's about 2.3 million as of 2017, and that is split up between national funding as well as local state funding as well. Interestingly, in 2009, the Ryan White program gained an amendment that focused a lot more on some of the social issues that Scott was talking about earlier. The focus of this expansion was to eliminate health disparities in contracting HIV, and this specifically focused on preventative care for men that are having sex with other men, for IV drug users, for transgender individuals, as well as racial minorities. So this expansion was really looking at caring for vulnerable populations. And as Scott mentioned, we will not eradicate this illness if we don't in turn focus on not only assisting vulnerable populations, but ensuring that the stigma towards gay men, towards trans individuals, towards people who are using IV drugs, as long as we are starting to control those stigmas, people will reach out for help and gain access to medication. And the way Ryan White is looking at it is as Annie, the case manager who we interviewed in the previous episode, kind of talked about, you need to look at people holistically. So if individuals are homeless, Ryan White, through the HOPWA program, provides them with um, reduced cost housing because as explained in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, lower level needs must be met. People aren't going to take their medication if they're living on the street. People aren't going to be taking their medication if they're hungry. So Ryan White also provides food. A lot of the 
holistic care that we have talked about but previously through case management is all funded through Ryan White. However, Ryan White is most known for paying for those incredibly expensive yet incredibly important antiretroviral medications for people who cannot afford to do so themselves. Recently, I came across a Canadian article that was titled, There's More to Health Than Antiretroviral Therapy, or ART. This concept of holistic health when working with HIV is what I feel would be the best recommendation in solving um, the HIV epidemic. So the article goes on to talk about you know, how good nutrition and a safe living space and exercise and mental health therapy, as well as um, healing of the mind through meditation and having support systems to um, deal with uh, drug use and addiction, all of these things the emotional support, the internal health of everything else within the body, the access to medical care through the providing transportation. Um, All of these things are really important in order to quote-unquote cure HIV. And as Scott mentioned, there's no magic pill quite yet that is able to create a cure that someone can take to eradicate all HIV from their body. But I think it's important to continue to fund research to do this because there is a lot of advancement currently being made within the medical field. So to me, not only should we be funding research and funding treatment, but we should be looking at problems that would help resolve a lot of these stigma because HIV will continue as long as we look at people with HIV in a belittling type of way. So to me, this also means, as a lot of research has mentioned, including the NIH and the CDC, is that what really needs to happen is we need to work together to eliminate this sense of stigma. We need to educate everyone within the community, not just at-risk populations, but everyone about what HIV is, how you can contract it, ways you can prevent um, yourself from obtaining the virus. All of these things is incredibly critical in order to gain awareness and gain empathy within the community about HIV. Because without empathy, HIV will prevail over us as a community. Closing today, I would like to urge each of you to do your research and educate yourself on HIV in order to spread awareness, to reduce the stigma, and create a happier and healthier community within North Carolina. Um, Thanks so much for listening, and as always, I'll see you next time.